As a proud supporter of Parkinson's UK, the Focus on Why podcast is supporting this charity by including their Time for Can campaign in this episode. Can't work, can't walk, can't taste, can't talk, can't move, can't eat, can't remember, can't sleep, can't finish, feel ashamed, can't smile through the pain, can't stop the voices, can't make it stop. Parkinson's, the fastest growing neurological condition in the world. There is no cure. Yet we can fund, can fight, can discover, can unite, can transform, can live, can change, can give, can slow, can stop, can reverse, can cure. We can do, but we can't do it without you. Parkinson's UK. Together we can find a cure. Donate now at parkinsons.org.uk. Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question. Why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined from Patricia Fripp. Welcome, Patricia. Glad to be with you. And where are you joining us from? San Francisco, California, in my office here. Oh, fantastic. And I've just called you Patricia, but everybody calls you or who knows you well calls you Fripp. Why do they call you Fripp? Probably because when I was growing up, my dad always answered the phone and we lived above his business premises, Fripp here. So as I grew up and went into business, I had a tendency to say Fripp here (laughs) because that's why I was programmed with my dad. But my friends in general, we call each other by our last names, Rowan, Parenti, Garfinkel, Cantu, Prost. And, it, and when you are sending an email, Amy, it's easier to type Fripp than Patricia. I love that. And my name is my brand, Fripp. Plus, I have a famous brother called Robert Fripp, who is a famous guitarist. And sometimes his fans find me looking for him. And a lot of our fans overlap. That makes sense. So how does it feel to have a famous or equally famous brother? How does it feel to be sort of interchangeably linked to one another? My brother and I have always been soulmates. My brother is one year, one month, two days, 12 and a half hours younger than I am. And when we were growing up in Wimborne, Dorset, in the south of England, my mother, who was a very wise woman, always said, as she explained when we grew up, little children, especially if you're one, two, three, four, don't understand why one of you is getting presents and the other isn't. So at Christmas, it's not a problem, but birthdays, it could be. So for years, we celebrated both our birthdays and got both our presents on my birthday. And then when we got to, you know, about 12 and 13, I I said, well, we understand the concept, so why don't you take your birthday back? (laughs) Now, my brother, who is married to a very famous actress and singer in England, Toya Wilcox, said, 
my mother, my sister, my wife. One woman, three bodies. <laughs> but we've always been very close. And as we have grown up, and now we talk almost every day and have done for decades now, because it's so much easier than it was when we were in our 20s, we realize in many ways our careers have, uh, have been parallel. He talks about, well, this was the day King Crimson was born. And I said, well, that's the day I got off the boat in America for a new life. So we celebrate these types of parallels that we only find out. Now, my brother is, of course, an international star. I am just, ex I'm well known in my industry. I'm not famous. My brother, however, would tell you my sister is the one who has the showbiz personality. It is much, I am much more outgoing. My brother, and when I introduced him, because we give presentations together, I often say, throw out all perceptions of what you think a rock star is, because my brother is quiet, shy, modest, analytical, thoughtful, well-educated and a great thinker who can talk about almost any subject, especially the church, history, buildings, gardens, music, the artist's place in the world. And we spoke for a company who provided software for nuclear engineers. And these were trainers. These were trainers in nuclear power plants. Plants. And he could adapt his message so easily that people who trained in nuclear power plants could see the parallels. Now, so I would say I am the happy one. And although my brother is very happy being at home with his wife in lockdown and very creative and productive, I survive well, I am very practical. I survive in the real world. My brother has had much of his life as a tortured artist, musician, because the music industry is really, it's not glamorous. People are always out to take your money and cheat you. But anyway, that's more than you wanted. So I am lucky to have such a wonderful, adoring brother. Doesn't matter that he's famous, he just happens to be. Now, you talked right at the beginning about you having a showbiz personality, but it was more than that. You actually worked in showbiz in one way or another. Well, if you consider my world, especially when I was mostly a keynote speaker, that is business show business because you might be, if you're a keynote speaker, what you have to do is set the tone for the conference or wake people up after technical presentations with a message so they could go back for more technical presentations. So what you in fact do is entertainment education. So there is a business showbiz part of it. However, the difference is, sister, my brother says, sister, you always get paid. That is a concept that is very 
unknown for, for, for a lot of musicians. We get cheated. We don't get paid. However, if you step back before that, because as you probably know, and I know you do hearing me speak, my first job was as a hairstylist. And when I came to America, I was one of the first women in men's hairstyling when it was a new industry. And I was trained by the Hollywood hairstylist, Jay Sebring. And we had the, you know, all the movers and shakers in the financial industry. But even, and the way our booths were set up with mirrors and around, I could step out of my booth and entertain the entire salon, which we we did. That was part of the entertainment with going to Miss Fripp's salon. And at what point did you step out of the booth and onto the stage? I stepped out of the booth and onto this stage at the same time. When I first began speaking, it was to hairstylists because I was very good at what I did. And a hair product company got me on the road training and this was men's hairstylists. I went from women's hairstyling to 100% men's hairstyling. And I would travel along and there would be other stylists, but Amy, what made me different from the others? was I realized the guy in the back of the room can't see what I'm doing. I need to describe what I'm doing in a way he thinks he can see me. So I would do an ongoing dialogue. I also was smart enough to know that you might sign up to go to a hairstyling show to watch people cut hair. However, for, for three hours of this, you've got to bring in other elements. So I would talk about this is how you could sell more products. These are the questions that you ask to know if an, a potential employee will be good. Uh, and so I gave them more business ideas because I had grown up with a dad who was an entrepreneur. He was in business. I had always been fascinated with business. And because my dad was in business, even when I was an employee, I was a much better employee because I looked at the salon from the point of view of the owner. Because in the hairstyling business, Amy, you get paid in America at least 100% on commission. And people, stylists always think, oh, the boss is getting rich. And I sat my hairstylist down once and I asked them a simple question. We pay. $200 a month for a yellow page ad. Because in those days, that's how you advertised the best, most interesting, most eye-catching yellow page ad, which we had. It was a picture of me with short blonde hair, holding big shears in front of my face with one of my friend's curly hair behind me. It was the photographer's idea. It was innovative, but it was very eye-catching. And I said, well, let, let's just say to make the math easy, we charge $20 for haircuts. How many haircuts do we have to do, which is really new customers coming in to pay for the ad? Well, guess what they said? 20 into 200, 10. I said, no, of course not. Because 
of the $20 coming in, you get 70%. I got to pay 15% for the withholding taxes. And, and with the little 15% of that 20, I pay the rent, the lights, the receptionist, the phone, the yellow page ad. And no, I'm not getting rich. You know, we, we have to, when we our ads bring people in, you got to keep them coming back. That's the only way that we pay for it. So it was a matter of just giving some basic ideas. One, I knew my staff would one day go into business for myself, but they stayed with me a lot longer because I was teaching the practicality of running a business. Because if you love being a hairstylist, a lot of that goes out of the window when you're in business because you're cutting hair, having to, you know, loving the cutting the hair, loving the creativity. You're loving talking to the customer, but you're thinking, phones ring four times. How come that hasn't been picked up yet? That's what you think about when you own the business. So the talking part was so popular that the hairstyling company extended it. So the one uh, Sunday afternoon or most of the day, it would be haircutting. And the next morning, it would be like a management and motivation seminar. And then, Amy, of course, what do you do with your hairstylist? You talk about what you've both done since the last time you were in. And then, I, you know, you talk to your clients. Oh, well, I went to... Amarillo, Texas, to do a hairstyling show. Uh, oh, well, you're speaking. Come talk to my Rotary Club, Kiwanis Club, Lions Club. Come to my breakfast club. And I realized after two talks to service clubs, this is the least expensive and most fun way to promote my business. So if any of your entrepreneur, small business people, clients are listening, why would you want to get some basic presentation skills? Because in every community, in England, America, and every other country, there are Rotary Clubs, there are Kiwanis Clubs, there are Chambers of Commerce. And many of these places are looking for a free speaker next Wednesday morning or Thursday lunch. And if that is you, you have an opportunity to present what you do. Now, it can't be a sales pitch, but present what you do to local business people who might be interested or at least could refer you. So it was out of those. So I would step in the salon, out to the hairstyling stage, into the salon, out to the Golden Gate Breakfast Club stage, back in the salon, out to the San Mateo Rotary Club stage and back. And then, of course, from those talks, people come up. A man came up to me and I, when I was speaking at a, a breakfast club in Oakland and he said, what would you charge to say that to the California appliance dealers? I said, $50. Years later, he asked me the same question. I said, $5,000 and paid it. So you ask me one question and I waffle on, but, but that's how, okay. Then a professional speaker came up and said, and this was because 
with my pals, my best friends at the time were guys I met in the Dale Carnegie class. We were so ambitious. And this is a very key point, Amy. If you are ambitious, if you listen to podcasts, if you study YouTube or online learning on how to perfect any skill, and especially when you get this wacky idea, I'm going to go in business myself. I'm going to be a speaker. I'm going to do this. You always have people around you say, oh, come on, get over yourself, especially in England, especially in England. Well, if you're ambitious, you need to associate. And your mother told you this. You're judged by the people you hang around with. You need to associate with other people ambitious. And my pals, we flew to Los Angeles, go to Positive Thinking Rally. We went to every seminar we heard about. And a local, very famous speaker, Chris Hegarty, I contacted his office and he came to hear me speak at a Rotary Club. And he said, and this is very simple and the best advice is simple. He said, Patricia, you must go to the next National Speakers Association Convention. And I'm a great believer, Amy, if someone you admire and wish to emulate gives you advice, you don't say how much does it cost, you do it. And I turned up at that first NSA convention thinking, no one's going to want to talk to me. I only talk to Rotary clubs and hairdressers. And two situations appeared. One, I saw the vision of what was possible. Now, understand at that point, I was 32 years old. I was two years into a 10-year lease and I loved my business. I, and I was smart enough to know this is a long-term goal because I have the interest but I don't have the talent. I don't have the skills yet. I don't understand the business. And I love my own business. I don't want to leave. So here's a message for everyone. If you get an idea of what you might like to do next, it is a long-term goal. Don't quit your day job. That is, and so many speakers, I say, please don't quit your day job. You plan for for getting ready and secondly i got discovered by a big time promoter who booked me to speak to two thousand people on the same program with dr robert Schuler, the minister from garden grove who at the time was one of the most famous speakers but but i mean that's the story in itself and so that is how i got onto the stage not so that my goal was in eight years to be ready in seven years I sold or almost gave away my business to my staff because that's when I became the first woman president of the National Speakers Association. Because there are times, Amy, when you might ask for the why, it's the world is telling you when the time is right. The world says not only, you know, we know why you want to do it, the time is now cut the ties, you know, leap in, have faith. 
but I had faith based on based on investing the last seven years, building the skills, building a clientele, building a reputation. And here's a very practical point, taking all the money I made speaking and put into the speaking business because I was living off the salon business. So I had a wonderful demo VHS, if anyone remembers what a VHS. I was the first speaker. I had the first really fancy press kit. More nicer marketing materials than people who were really well-established because I didn't live off the money. If there's a message in this, it's think big, start small. And, and that's the message that I'm hearing was the, the starting small is where, and, but you had the vision and that was because of the people. And as you said, the, the people that you kept company with and that you had aspirations because they were encouraging you and you were in a circle of people who had bigger dreams. But what you did do is you, you grafted, you spent that effort of working towards it with a very clear vision of it. And, and then you said you cut the ties, you, you sort of, you made that decision, but you had the skills, you had the clientele, you had the reputation. Speaking became your whole business, but it doesn't have to be your whole business. It can be an arm to your business. Oh, of course. And there are many very well-known speakers that I have known over the years that they are very well-established speakers. However, they are running companies as well. They might not be as actively involved. If you're on the, on the road 100 days a year speaking at conferences, you have to have a general manager or someone keeping an eye on the business, but they, they never gave up their own business. And a lot of the credibility, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, one of my friends, Gene Parrott, He's retired now, uh, but a great guy. And for 30 years, he was the head writer for Bob Hope. Well, he was a good speaker. But I said, Gene, you can't give up working for Bob Hope, you know, when Bob was alive, because that's your credibility. You're not going to have quite the same cachet as you used to work for Bob Hope, unless you were such an electrifying speaker. And Gene was a wonderful speaker and a lovely man, but I don't think that would have been enough without the cachet. And I tell you, a lot of companies, they like hearing from executives who've really done something. They turn their business around. And so certainly there is a life after that as a speaker and consultant. Uh, but at the beginning, when you are building this and you haven't quite got the, you know, you're not as good as some really charismatic presenters, you are good, but you have the credibility. And what does it take to be that electrifying speaker that you just mentioned? What, what does it mean to give people tingles on their arms in a, in a good talk? Well, there have been speakers and there have been lines. You know, I'll often say to my clients, who, of course, are mostly business professionals, that line is so good. My eyes are watering and my toes are tingling. It might be different to different people. 
but from me, 43-year member of the National Speakers Association, who has not only watched charismatic keynoters for decades and studied them, and now, now I help, I would say, shy, modest, introverted, and brilliant engineers. I take them from that and turn them into corporate rock stars in their world. And not every speaker can do that because you can be a great speaker, but it's a whole different skill to be able to do that with people who don't have your training experience and you've got to do it fast. To really be charismatic, you've got to get comfortable on stage and that takes time. And for business professionals, I make them do more rehearsal than they were ever imagined. They normally, oh, I run through my presentation a couple of times. No, 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 no. We're going to run through it 25 times. You know, you got to get it in your body so you forget it. Now, this is easier if you have a message. And it might just be with my executives. I'll help them with the speech. And then I say, now we got to work together. We are going to develop your stories so, and your, on, in your back pocket so that when you have a presentation, we can very quickly say, okay, this is the premise. This is the audience. This is how you're going to open and personalize it, but bring in the, the, the Tilly story, bring in that story, bring that story. So you prepare them to be perpetually prepared. So one, you've got to get comfortable on stage. And now in the world, as you know, a virtual, which we will never go back. We will go back to live meetings but we will never go back to not having a higher quality virtual meeting in between. And what people have to get used to, and a lot of speakers can't do this until they really practice because they're used to making eye contact with enormous audiences, which are great. But we have to learn to develop what I would call an energetic intimacy with the camera. Because your, your audience is behind the camera. You were talking to one person perhaps thousands of times, but it's still one person. So one, get, com get comfortable with your message. Two, get comfortable in the format that you're in, and now it has to be with technology. Then three, you have to focus your presentation on the audience. I was asked after a 30-minute interview on presentation skills, Patricia, this is great, but come on. What is the number one secret of delivering a powerful, persuasive presentation? It's no, there's no one secret. Then it hit me, and I realized a brand-new fripicism was about to fall flawlessly from my lips. And I said, although there is no one secret, if they were, it would be that your subject is of interest to your audience. And you might think, but Patricia, you know, my audience is the, the guys that work in the warehouse. You know, the blue collar workers that come in with their arms folded and say, oh, God, not another Monday meeting. Well, some audiences are tougher. But in general, the secret is 
speak as an audience advocate. So, for example, don't, to my leaders, I say, don't talk to your associates about these strategies are going to increase, you know, the shareholder value. Unless they're shareholders, they don't care. Take your message. These strategies are going to give us greater market share. This is means we're going to be hiring your friends. We're not going to be laying off. This means there's more opportunity with the up comp with our company if you want. You have to speak as an audience advocate. Look at their point of view. And that's why. So you might not be quite as charismatic on your feet. You might not have the gestures and the pauses and the the way you you might deliver it but to that audience you're charismatic because they see themselves in your message and then from a leadership standpoint and a lot of what i do i say i don't write speeches for people i do but i really don't write it the way a speech writer writes a speech because a lot of my clients, I just worked with one this weekend. Yeah, I had this important commencement speech of 5,000 people virtually, plus more than that. And my team, I said, I got someone I'd like to work with. The team said, oh, well, this speechwriter focuses on commencement speeches. It was awful. It was awful. And I totally rewrote it, nothing of which the speechwriter had said. And again. Okay because the speech writer wasn't getting her story about Tilly, which she was her mother when she got thrown in jail for sitting at the counter in the South, you know, I mean, a marvelous story. But I said, don't tell them it's your mother till the end of the story. Tell it is historical. So, okay, so what I do is, I ask questions, just as you do. <laughs> I, of course, not everyone spends 20 minutes answering one of your questions, Amy. <laughs> All right. So I ask questions just as you would. I pull people's words out. I polish them up, pop them back in their mouth. Say, say it this way, and then we write it down. So... Whereas speech writers can write, you know, they talk to their clients and they write the speech, but I have to be more actively engaged. And I'll take your stories, let's transcribe them, I'm going to rewrite them, now tell them this way. Anyway, so these are some of the ingredients. And as I go back to the point I was making with executives, if you're going to engage your audience, You have to tell personal stories. So I'll give you a specific example. I was working with this shy, modest, brilliant, but introverted engineer who was the president of a $2 billion software company. And they had aspirations being 20 billion. And this was a really important speech because there were 1,500 salespeople in the Bellagio in Las Vegas. And 40% of them had been acquired. They bought their competition. 
So they said this speech is so important because we need everyone, especially the people who've been inconvenienced. You know, they don't they didn't choose to work with us. We want everyone to know you're the right company at the right time and the strategy is sound. So as I was talking to Bernard, he was talking about strategy. And I said, Bernard, when was the first time you realized the importance of strategy? And he said, when I was a 14-year-old ball boy. And he lived in France. He was French. He said, it was before the French Open. And people came in to see the French Open and they didn't realize they were going to be watching. It's like a warm-up act as people are coming in. A match between the ball boys. And he said, I was playing against my best friend and we were equally matched with skills, except his sister was our ball boy. And so she wanted her brother to win. So the way she was throwing the ball, she was trying to sabotage my game. So he said, Patricia, that was the first time I realized the importance of strategy. When you are equally matched with your competitor and you're at a disadvantage. And Bernard asked me what most executives ask. Why would I tell these stories? Do people really want to hear them? And I say, yes, because people will respect a position. You're the president. They will fight in the streets when they have an emotional connection to the person behind the position. So they are some of the ingredients <laughs> of a charismatic swing, especially for real people. I love that. And I think one of the things I'm taking from this is that you're talking in a, in a speech one to one person. Oh, yeah. And that's what you were doing in the hair salon. You're always just focused on that one person. And I think you've, you've sort of taken that whole persona, the whole way of working and the whole way of making someone feel amazing from styling their whole image to then taking that into onto the stage and again making the, the someone in the audience feel incredible from being with you yes and and it's the, and this is sometimes difficult to get across you might have 5000 people in front of you you can see them or it might be 20 people at a team meeting but you talk to one person if you say you have a decision to make or you've done a superb job or if I were to ask you, have you ever had the experience? You know what it's like when you focus language, 20 people in the team meeting or a hundred, a thousand, 5,000 in the audience think, Oh, Amy's talking to me. So it might be an audience. You still only talk to one person. So the technique is if you're talking to one, you're talking to everyone. It's just it's a more personal connection. Everyone in the room. There might be times you, you might say, we all as distributors of Atlas Heating are here together for a celebration. 
But when it comes to the key messages, is you have a tough decision. You're going to lay off your team? Or can you be innovative enough with your marketing that you can, in challenging times, expand your business? If you're, if you're like my dad, he would have said, let's think how we can keep everyone on the payroll and expand. So let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. In the next 45 minutes, we can discuss four very practical and easy to adapt ways that you can expand your business, even in challenging times. So you see, you, you, you set the tone, but you grab them in, but you're talking to one person. So let's take this sort of what you do away from why you do it. What is it that really drives you every day to make the world a better place of, present, of presenters, of people having great skills? Why do you do what you do? You change the world by eliminating one boring presentation at a time. <laughs> Why do I do it? Well, if I had to sum it up simply, it is a great education. As a hairstylist, I loved learning about business from my clients always fascinated by business. As a keynote speaker, you had to learn about the companies, certainly at some level, to personalize your presentation. Well, that made you more, I say more valuable when you speak at other companies. Because I'd often say, why are you hiring me? Why are you hiring any outside speaker? Well, it's because we want an outside perspective. We know our business. We know our industry. We want an outside point of view. So the more you, you work, the more valuable you are. Then, as I develop from being a keynote speaker, because it's unrealistic to think that if you're going to stay busy in the speaking world for 30, 40 years, people are not going to pay you after 40 years what they paid you after 20 years. So if you think the heyday of my keynote business, 80s, 90s, in the, you know, this century. But over the way, I listened to what clients asked for. And, and this is another very simple business principle. Listen to your customers and clients, and they will tell you their why is, we like you. We, we're comfortable with you. That's our why. Can you do this for us? Yeah, we could find someone else, but we'd rather buy it from you because we know you, we trust you, and we don't want to go through the process of finding someone who might actually be better at this, but we want you. That's their why. Now, listen, because someone said, the sales manager, I love, yeah, I liked your speech. I loved how you delivered it. Could you teach our salespeople to speak that way? Because it takes us a year to 
And this happens in a lot of big companies with big sales. It takes us a year to be in a position to deliver a one-hour presentation for a hospital board. It's worth $9 million a year if we get the business. And we are losing sales. It has nothing to do with our offering our price. The presentation skills of our major competitors are better than ours. And little did I know, she had just given me the secret to always be in demand, no matter what the economy is. And when I don't look quite as good on iMac. So I, you know, it's my why did I change? Really, I evolved. You know, speakers talk about reinventing themselves. Oh, I reinvented myself five times. I said, not reinvented myself. I have evolved. And working with each client, I get smarter. I get more experienced. So one, it's an education. And I, you know, I mean, I'm like, oh, God, I work all the time. You know, I say, why am I working all the time? Well, I tell you, the last couple of days, I've worked with a couple of people with terrible scripts and transformed them. And it's exhilarating. It energizes me. And... Now, this is what a psychologist would tell you. I left school at 15 to serve a three-year apprenticeship. And then I left home, worked on the island of Jersey with a gentleman from the West End of London who could do hairstyles I'd never, ever, ever seen before. But one day my boss said to me, you know, you, you bring in 30% more income for the salon than the other stylists. Now, they were more experienced. They were better stylists. And they, they were getting paid three times as much base salary as I was. But you know the difference, Amy? They thought lunch hours were for eating lunch. I realized lunch hours were for squeezing in three or four extra people who could only come in at lunchtime. Holiday makers, rich ladies could come in anytime. But you're the shop assistant next door. You can only come in your lunch hour. So that's how I did more. So it's me. I have educated myself through seminars, through conversations, through studying my clients. But I am not traditionally well educated the way my brother is. But my why is I feel smart. I feel accomplished when I can take senior level executives and make them sound a way that no high price speech writer or their communication teams or even they could do without me. And that is more exhilarating and much more valuable to me than any check they send me. My brother says, sister, you are a compulsive overachiever because our parents didn't think, didn't expect much of you because you were a girl. Well, you know, in England, in the 50s and 60s, nobody expected anything from girls. And my reply to my brother is, and this is the secret, and one of my best friends who was a psychologist told me, you never analyze 
why you are the way you are if you like the way you are. You only go into deep analysis if you got problems. I love the way I am. So I don't care <laughs> why, it, why I am. But that is my real why, Amy. I feel smart when I can help executives do what I know nobody can do better than I can. And how do they feel when they've worked with you? What what was their reaction? I've been frepnotized and I can't wait to do it again. I love your surname. It can be used in different ways. You've got, you know, your frip chips and you've got your your fripisms. I love those. They're fantastic. Yeah. Have you have you got a book of all your frip tips and all your fripisms? Uh, no, I haven't. However, I do have a page on my website. If you go to frip.com. And in the search box, you know, click on blog, go to search, put fripicisms. In fact, actually, with my website, if you go way down to the bottom, there is a link on fripicisms. Now, fripicisms are quotes from me, original quotes from me, but also Robert fripicisms, mother fripicisms, Arthur Henry Fripp, which are dad fripicisms. Because my dad said the first day I went to work, and isn't this a good why, Amy? As he pushed me out the door, first day I was going to be a, an apprentice, I was making 31 and fourpence and spending 16 and sixpence going to work on the bus. I gave my mother five shillings for my keep because I don't know if they still do this in England, but in my generation, you went to work, you gave your mother part of your pay for your keep. Do they still do that? Well, I'll let you know, because my kids are still a little bit too young to do that. They're, they're, they're just turning 18 and 15. So they're, they're still um, they're OK to live at home without having to pay their way just now. Well, uh, you know, my friends in America have never heard of the concept. My gosh, I wish my kids did that. Anyway, I digress. My dad and this is and a lot of speakers, you know, they use great famous quotes. And I always say. That's great. A lot of dead white men had some wonderful quotes that are worth using. But so did your grandmother. So did your school to favorite school teacher. Perhaps even your kids. But my dad said, in your career, don't concentrate on making a lot of money. Rather concentrate on becoming the type of person people want to do business with. Then you most likely will make a lot of money. So they're fripicisms. My mother, Edith, St. Edith of the Valley, she came from South Wales, where Tom Jones comes from. So my brother was a St. Edith of the Valleys. Uh, she said to me, and this is the type of very practical advice, she said, of course, it's the inner you that counts. How you, however, you have to dress up and look good so that you attract people who can then find out how nice you are, how smart you are, and how valuable you can be to them. So the, we got hundreds, probably thousands of fripicisms. So look at the bottom of frip.com and look around while you're there. We because we got nearly a thousand blog posts. You can sign up on frip.com for three free resources. You can click on Frip VT, which is my online learning. Take a trial. There, it, there is an abundance of information 
whether you're in sales, you're an entrepreneur, or you're just an ambitious professional, or you want to be a famous speaker, all the answers are on fripp.com. Just go in the little search box and find what you want. Well, I just want to say thank you for sharing so much and, and you are so generous with your time and your resources. And that's something that I've I've noticed every time I've heard you speak is I'm constantly writing down the various tips that you have and they stand you in good stead. And, and after all these years, you've been exercising them absolutely to phenomenal success and becoming in the Hall of Fame and all sorts of accolades that you've achieved over those years. So, you know, well done and thank you. My pleasure. And thank you for encouraging me to think of my why. Well, absolutely. I mean, everyone doesn't get away without sharing it at some point on the on this show. So thank you for doing that. And I just want to say, have you got any final words for the audience, please? Yes. I want you to remember Fripp. But much more important than remembering me, remember what Fripp stands for. Frequently reinforce ideas that are productive and profitable. And when I was considered more of a motivational speaker, this is what I would say. Tell me what you say you want. Show me one week of your life and we'll both know if you'll get it. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrowlandson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.